0: Good morning, Goshen College. There's plenty of seats, so come on in and find a place a lot over on this side. Welcome, everyone, to this SST Senegal Convocation. We're so glad to be back uh, going abroad and doing SST and to have this group come and talk about it. My name is Jan Bender Shetler and I'm the director of the Global Engagement Office in the SST or the Study Service Program at Goshen College. Our SST program is a requirement for all you students as part of your core, ensuring that all of you will graduate with the skills and knowledge necessary to become global citizens who are able to collaborate for the common good and respect human dignity across cultural differences. SST can be completed in an integrated semester, like you're going to be hearing about this morning, or a series of short courses, both on and off campus. If you want to know more, come visit us over in the Newcomer Center, or email us at, SST at Goshen. Now, it's now during the spring advising time that you need to sign up for SST opportunities next year. You don't want to wait until later. If you want to get all your SST credit in one immersive package, you can actually still talk to us about going on the Navajo Hopi Nations this summer that has a May term on campus and a remote class before going for six weeks in Arizona. But next academic year, we're going to Ecuador in the spring and the summer, to Indonesia in the spring, and to Senegal in the summer. So I hope some of you are inspired to go there. Next year as well, um, there are a number of immersive SST courses on campus in the fall and spring semesters as well as some of these opportunities in May term for off-campus travel courses. Um, Studying things like ecological economics in the Amazon, uh, global communities in this region with an extended field trip to Chicago, disaster relief, working at a disaster site in the United States, youth and resilience in Guatemala, or global literature in the cosmopolitan city of London, followed by a course in Northern Ireland engaging in community work there. You can see all those course offerings under the GLST prefix. We've got things around campus. Uh, Check out our website for this. And definitely talk to your advisor about which of these plans and which of these courses you would like to be part of. And now it gives me incredible pleasure Um, at the start of this Senegal SST Convocation to welcome one of our partners in Senegal to Goshen College. Uh, It is our partners, our host families, and the organizations that host our student volunteers that make our program strong and give us, give it meaning. And so, Mamadou, could you stand up? Um, I met Mohamedou Dian in 2021 in Senegal, but after that time, he has come to the US and he's currently a bilingual teacher at the St. Louis Language Immersion School in St. Louis, Missouri. And interestingly, he is also from Saint Louis, the, the sister city of uh, St. Louis in Senegal. He's the founder of a volunteer organization called SenClip, which stands for Senegal Language Culture Immersion Programs, and it's described as an educational social startup at the service of rural communities and schools. Its motto is Stronger Together. He's also worked as a language trainer for Peace Corps and in schools in Senegal. Mohamedou has a master's degree in English, with training in sustainable development and leading cultural programs. He's worked with many different universities and volunteer groups coming to Senegal as a teacher and a facilitator. He aided our SST leaders, David Lind and Kendra Yoder, in identifying some service placements and provided other counsel for our program in Senegal. We are grateful for his support and glad that he could visit us at Goshen College while he's in the U.S to further strengthen our partnership. If you want to talk with him afterwards, he'll, he'll stay around for a little bit. And so we, we give him a warm Goshen College welcome. And now it's my distinct pleasure to uh, introduce the, the 2022 Senegal SST students led by Susanna Yoder and Samuel Stoner Eby, who will be speaking first to tell you something about their experience in Senegal. And we hope that their stories might inspire you to take that risk of stepping out of your comfort zone and signing up for one of these amazing opportunities offered at Goshen College for building your career path and your lifetime commitments. So please put away your phones and give your full attention to these students. Thanks so much.
1: Good morning, everybody. I'm Samuel Stoner Eby.
2: I'm Susanna Yoder.
1: Um, And as Jan said, we were members of the SST unit to Senegal this past summer, along with those in front of us, led by David and Kendra Yoder, who are sitting here. Susanna and I are going to give a brief overview of uh, the country of Senegal and the structure of our program um, before some of our group members will tell stories that capture important moments or memories or learnings from their time on the trip. Um, so, this is um, a picture of our group in Senegal, and this, um, Senegal, it's a country uh, located in West Africa, in fact, the westernmost uh, country in, the, in continental Africa. It's about the size of the state of Nebraska and has a population of about 17 million people. One of the first things I noticed when I arrived in Senegal uh, was the heat. It's a mostly dry, arid country that, like many near the equator, has a longer hot dry season and a shorter rainy season, both of which we experienced during our time there. On one of the first weekends, the temperature even got up to 110 degrees, um, and it often hovered around 100. The official language of Senegal is French, uh, but Wolof, the language of the largest ethnic group, is spoken more widely, being the first or second language of about 80% of the population. Um, and it uh, is the main unifying language. We all took French classes in preparation here in the US and then studied both French and Wolof during the first half of our trip. Some people lived with host families who came from different ethnic groups and spoke um, three or more languages at home. Senegal's a majority Muslim nation. Depending on who you ask, 90 to 95% of Senegalese follow the Islamic tradition. During the colonial period when what is now Senegal was part of French West Africa, Islam was a mode of resistance to colonial rule and it became a unifying force and a source of authority outside of the French. Senegal gained independence from the French in 1960 and since then has been acknowledged as one of the more politically stable countries in Africa. The first president elected by independent Senegal was Leopold Siddar-Senghor, a poet, politician, and diplomat who helped to establish many of the political norms in Senegal. He was relatively tolerant of opposition parties and peacefully stepped away from power. There has been more tension recently, though, as President Mackie Sal has been attempting to extend his time in power by changing the constitutional term limits. While we were there, we witnessed a number of protests And since we left, opposition leaders have been jailed. Um, During the first six weeks of the term, um, we lived in the city of Chess, um, which the arrow is pointing to there, about an hour's drive of the east of the capital, Dakar. Suzanne will tell you a little bit more about our time there.
2: Um, Like Samuel said, we spent the first six weeks of our time in chess um, doing what is called the study portion of SST. In chess, we each had our own host families, and we were spread out throughout the city. Um, If you look up there, you can see a picture of um, me and my mom on the first day that we met each other. Um, So each week, we studied Wolof and French. Um, We also listened to Senegalese lecturers um, who shared about politics culture, music, and more. There's a picture of us learning how to play the drums up there, too. Um, We also got to go on field trips each week, and this meant traveling throughout Senegal. We got to go on a lot of cool um, field trips. Um, The first week, we went to Dakar, which is the capital city. We got to see the African Renaissance Monument, which is that big um, statue up there, and it symbolizes African liberation. On that same trip, we visited Goree Island, which, um, if you look at the colorful buildings, those are colonial-style buildings on the island, um, and it was a slave trading center from the 15th to the 19th century. We visited San Luis, which is where our guest is from. Um, it's an old city in the northern part of Senegal, and it's known for fishing. We took a tour through the city on a horse-drawn carriage, and um, if you see the picture of the van on the side of the road. Um, that's because our van broke down on the way um, on the way there. Um, we also got to visit the village of our in-country coordinator, Adama. Um, that those pictures are the uh, ones with colorful clothing. Um, they cooked a huge meal for us and welcomed us, um, and then danced with us all afternoon. So that was definitely a highlight for a lot of us on the trip. Um, we also visited Tuba, which is a holy city for a sect of Muslims in Senegal. People make pilgrimages to the Grand Mosque in Touba once a year, but some Muslims go even monthly. So we spent the next six weeks of our time in Senegal on what is called service, and we were split into partnerships and spread throughout the country. Most of us got new host families in our new locations, um, but some of us lived in um, dorms or other group living spaces. Uh, Each partnership was doing different work. Samuel and I were teaching English. You can see us with our English class up there. Um, Jonah and Ryan worked in a medical post. Axel and Sam worked at Beersheba on a sustainable farm. Emma and Emma worked at an orphanage. Mir spent time in a village learning from her family. Those are just a few examples of what people were doing for service. So a significant theme we experienced in Senegal was the national value of taranga. Taranga was one of the first things we learned about when we arrived in Senegal. Um, It most closely translates to hospitality, but it means a lot more than that. It's about the way that Senegalese people live their lives. It's about generosity, warmth, and making sure that everyone feels welcomed. One example of Taronga that I experienced is that when you visit someone um, while they're eating, they will always ask you to join the meal. And that happened to me one time when there was already like 10 people around the plate. They were like, come on, we have room for more. Um, and so that's one way that I definitely felt um, Taranga. So now we're gonna, um, we're gonna hear, from, hear some stories um, that give snapshots into life in Senegal. Um, Taranga is a common thread between all the stories. So as you listen, think about themes of hospitality, generosity, and warmth that are represented in all of them.
3: Hi, my name's Olivia, and I was part of the Senegal SST group. So, when you picture your 21st birthday, you're probably not imagining yourself in a village in the Senegalese countryside teaching a priest how to dance to the cotton-eyed Joe. At least, that's not what I was imagining when, around this time last year, I decided to go to Senegal for the summer. That said, that 21st birthday was probably the most interesting and rewarding birthday that I've had yet, and two key themes emerged, food and dancing. My 21st birthday came around at the very end of the last week of the second half of SST, the full immersion part of the program. Mira and I were assigned to a small village just outside of Chess, and neither of us had organizations that we were working with, which left us with lots of time on our hands. I spent much of that time getting to know my family and the community. I would cook lunch with my host mother, walk down the sandy streets to the soccer field with my brother, eat fitaya, my favorite Senegalese food, with my sister, and have long talks with one of the priests in town, a huge Harry Styles fan. (laughs) However, At the same time, with these long stretches of time in the afternoon with not much going on, I started to get progressively more and more homesick. I was torn between wanting to take in every opportunity and make the most of every second I had in Senegal and counting down the minutes till I could go home and see my family. My looming birthday brought out these feelings even more. On the day of, I was feeling anxious. I had a pit in my stomach like I had for the last week or so I was working on packing up my stuff and getting ready to leave and trying to figure out how to say goodbye to my host family, while also worrying about getting in touch with my parents on my birthday and if I could call them with the time change. My sister, Yvonne, could tell how I was feeling. And she pulled me aside to teach me how to make fataya, a fried dough pocket filled with either ground fish or ground beef and then topped with caramelized onion sauce. Now, I had been asking to make, learn how to make fataya for weeks, so I was very excited. Together, we spent hours kneading the dough, folding it into little balls, rolling each one out into a circle, filling it with the fish, crimping the edges with a fork, and then frying it. This process was almost meditative. And she always let me try the first one out of the fryer before saving the rest for the celebration. My host family that day also surprised me with the ingredients for pancakes, which, while not only one of my favorite foods, have a long traveling history for me. When I was a little kid and on trips, the only food that I would eat was pancakes because I would be too anxious to eat anything else. So, when I had been feeling homesick a few weeks ago, my host family had asked if there was a food from home I could make. So I made pancakes, and they remembered. And that day, on my birthday, they had all the ingredients and they carefully made them in front of me, not letting me help, but checking in every so often to make sure that they were doing it right. That day, they went out of their way to make me feel special, comfortable, and loved. As the sun started to set, Mira and her host family began to arrive for the party. Following them was Clement, my uncle, and Clement, the priest. As the evening went on, there was lots of food, music, and dancing. In Senegal, and particularly in the Serer community that I was staying in, dancing was a vital part of culture, particularly celebrations. My host mother, Chantal, wanted me to learn this rare dances, and Mira and I did our very best to learn and danced at several celebrations over the course of the summer, once in front of over 300 people. <laughs> now, dancing has never been a, one of my strong suits, and I quickly learned that the phrase I have two left feet, j'ai deux pieds gauche, does not quite translate into French. <laughs> However, dancing was always a source of laughter on service. Chantal would often teach me to dance by having me get up in front of my family after dinner, often by myself, and my siblings, who were my age, would watch me dance and laugh, until the day that my French got good enough that I could go them into dancing with me, too. My host sister also insisted that I learn TikTok dances, and there are countless Snapchat videos of us dancing from the summer. I vividly remember that during the last week of my time there, two days before my birthday, Yvonne made me watch back every Snapchat video that we had of us dancing and told me that when I arrived in Fanden, the village, I was bad at dancing, but over the course of six weeks, I had gotten just a little bit better. (laughs) Despite still not being the best at dancing, it was always a way to break the ice and lighten the mood. Even when I was feeling homesick, I could laugh and have fun dancing with my host siblings on our front porch in the evening light. Nevertheless, At my birthday party, I decided it was my turn to teach them a dance. I came prepared with the dance I knew best. Mira and I hatched our plan. And after dinner, we gathered everyone together. With all 15 of us huddled in the sandy yard, I had my host brother, Jean-Michel, grab his speaker and play cotton Eye Joe. After a brief period of instruction, my sister, Carolyn, recorded all of us doing the cotton Eye Joe on a cool Wednesday evening. Unfortunately, the video does not exist any longer. But as that hour slipped past that day, I went to bed that night feeling grateful for the time that I had spent there and everything that my family had done to make me feel loved and welcome. It was a birthday I will remember forever and a dance that I will never forget.
4: Good morning, how's it going? Yeah, so I'm Gabe. Some of you know me. I'm guessing most of you don't. Who knows? Um, and so I'll be talking about my time in San Louis, where I was placed as my service, and it's a pretty fun story, but let's see if I can tell it right. Um, so, yeah, uh, I was located on the south end of San Louis um, with my service partner, Anna, um, but she was located on the north end. Um, and so at that time... Um, I had no means of communication because of some unfortunate circumstances, um, and so then a few days after our arrival to San Luis, I figured that I would go visit Anna and her va- and her family um, just to get see just to see what the vibe is and you know meet new people because that's what I'm all about. Um, and then so, as I left the house, um, the streets of San Luis seemed unusually calm, which is if you've ever been, you I mean you would see what I mean. It's the hustle and bustle, like, you're always doing something. Um, and so then, as I am making my way to the main road of San Louis, I see that it's barren. There's no cars, there's hardly any people, except for some military personnel, which I found oddly, like, just odd. I was not ready for that. Um, and so, as I'm walking on this main road, I realize that I don't know the route to Anna's house. And then I started to freak out um, because there was no one to ask for help, and I was virtually lost. I was lost. Um, And so after scrambling for a couple minutes, I decided to say, oh, well, and just continue on the path and see if I could make it to her house. Well, that took me on a three-hour trip walking in about 106-degree weather with no water and no sense of direction, which... It's not okay for me because I have a sense of direction here. Um, and so after those long hours of trekking across the city, I ended up going through a market, which was really fun. But at the same time, I was it was really scary because at that one market, it was like everyone was just there. It was tightly packed, shoulder to shoulder. And, I mean, I didn't know anyone. And my French and Wolof, some would say is good, others... Mostly others would say it's terrible. <laughs> um, so then after making it to her house, um, I spent a couple, day, or a couple hours there you know, eating food. They offered everything to me. They felt terrible um, about my trek and being lost, um, but everything was okay towards the end of the day. Um, but then I realized that I still didn't know the way home and I still didn't have a means of communication because no one had my parents' phone number. Um, And so, I figured I would just trek my way back um, without anything uh, because I didn't want to burden Anna or her family. And I figured that if I could walk during the day, I could walk at night, and that was a terrible decision. (laughs) Um, And so, as I'm I'm making my way back to the main road again, um, I realized I was lost again. But this time, the hustle and bustle was back, so the city was alive. And it was beautiful, and somehow I found a sense of calmness um, in that. And it reassured me that I would get home, I just don't know when or how, but I would get home. Um, And so as I'm walking down the main road, uh, I'm trying to look around for statues or something that I can remember that I saw my way there um, so I can make my way home. Uh, And then I realized that there was actually a shop uh, close by that would, hopefully remember me because I know I remembered them. And, and within our interaction for the first time, um, it was really nice. We were laughing. Um, they were helping me uh, look for my phone and other stuff. Um, and they eventually said that I was their Mexican-American friend because they had never met a Mexican before. Um, and so as I'm walking up to the store, I'm trying to remember what they said verbatim, but I can't. Um, but I remember saying something in the lines of, do you remember me? I remember you. I am severely lost. Please help. (laughs) Um, And so at first they were like, who is this guy? Like, he speaks, he doesn't speak French. He doesn't speak Wolof. Um, And then after a couple minutes, it kind of clicked. And then they were like, oh my God, my friend, how are you? Very welcoming. I loved it. I felt at home. I felt at ease. Um, and so after a couple minutes of scrambling, trying to, uh, or trying to tell them that I was lost, um, they finally understood, and then they gave me water, they gave me some food, and they talked to me, um, just to calm me down, because they could see I was a little frazzled. Um, and so after a little while, they were able to get in contact with my dad, um, but then my parents couldn't meet me, because it was already late, and then, my dad was also working, because he was a musician. Um, and so after a little bit, they were able to call a taxi for me. And I was, as I was waiting, they were like, please come back. We would love to see you again. Um, and I was like, of course. And so I did. I came back multiple times. Um, and they always remembered me, which was really nice. Um, yeah. And then on the way back home, um, I got lost again. Um, yeah I didn't I didn't know the address um, and they knew the general vicinity and they told the taximan man that the general vicinity um, but somehow I still ended up walking home for the last hour and a half but I made it home so that's good um, so yeah the entire point of that story was just to emphasize the just Taranga you know hospitality you know warmth and just how welcoming the citizens are of uh, the citizens of Senegal are, um, and I really, I really appreciated that because I was terrified. Yeah.
5: Cool. Um, I'm Caleb. I was also on the Senegal group, obviously. Um, Okay, so about three weeks into the second term of SST, uh, my service partner, Birch, and I realized that we were about out of money. Uh, We had apparently been spending too much on our almost everyday habit of eating street food, called fataya, with our Fanta crush orange pop. Um, We lived in Dongon, Kampamont, a small town settled on the river that dictates environmental life in the region. It was a lovely place, uh, but there was one problem. There was no ATM there, and the closest one was in a city 90 minutes away, called Embur. So after consulting our wallets to make sure we had enough money to pay for transportation, we decided to trek to Embur the next day. To celebrate our plan, we bought one more round of fataya. (laughs) Our journey to Embur began at the end of the town's main street. We waved down a Klando car, which is similar to a taxi service, uh, and started heading to, in the direction of Mbor. To save money on transportation, we stopped at a small village called Fimela to switch to another car. We negotiated for a ride to another town closer to Embor. Um, as we switched vehicles, I stood up and my stomach started to ache and grumble. I wanted to fart and get rid of the inconvenience, but no gas was to be passed. <laughs> Once in Joal, we switched cars again and headed to Mbor. The ride was longer than the last couple and my stomach started to feel better after sitting down for a while. Our taxi man dropped us off uh, at the first bank we saw that had an ATM. As we stood outside the bank waiting in line to use the ATM, a man selling books approached us and started up a conversation. We introduced ourselves and I began to feel very ill. The light around my edg- the edges of my field of vision dulled a bit and I thought back to an event during the study term in which I fainted and threw up and apparently Gabe saved my life or something. Um, I don't know, I wasn't conscious. (laughs) Anyway, I stopped trying to understand what the man was saying and simply nodded my head, hoping to end the conversation quickly. It felt like each word I spoke out was tied to the insides of my stomach, and if I spoke too much, it would all come gushing out. The room for the ATM was now available, so Birch and I quickly excused ourselves and hurried into the air-conditioned box. I sat on the ground and suddenly realized I was extremely thirsty. Birch noticed something was wrong, but before I could answer his questions, Um, I ran back outside and hurled up the eggs and bread I had eaten for breakfast. It was really embarrassing when several people came forward to make sure that I was okay and I didn't speak enough French to understand or respond. Birch emerged from the bank and we figured it was time to return home. We wanted to walk to uh, the taxi garage to find another ride um, uh, to get a a seven-passenger van, a cheaper option, um, back in the direction of our village. Fortunately, it was a 30-minute walk there, and we were about out of water. We'd only, we only had the $10,000 uh, Sefo bills that the ATM supplied, and they were too large for a taxi driver to accept for a five-minute drive. So we walked. We soon ran out of water, and I had to take breaks repeatedly so I wouldn't throw up again or faint. After a bit, Birch went on a search for water um, in the nearby boutiques while I found a nice shaded spot on the ground to sit. Uh, While Birch was gone, a man approached me and asked why I was sitting on the ground. He helped me up and ushered me to a table and chairs. We sat for a bit and chatted. He asked me what I was doing in Boer, and I told him that I was a student. Some friends of his walked by and joined us, asking me questions about what I studied there. Um, It honestly felt really nice uh, to just sit and talk while I waited for Birch. The simple act of small talk with strangers helped me feel more at ease in an unfamiliar environment. Plus, it helped take my mind off my physical discomfort. Birch returned with no luck of scaring water. The bills he had were also too large to be accepted, uh, so we kept walking, a bit dehydrated under the hot and poor sun. We eventually got to the garage, found some water, uh, and got a ride back towards Dongan. I chugged a bunch of water on the ride back, which was a bad idea because I had to stick my head out of a moving vehicle in order to avoid throwing up in a stranger's taxi. Once we got home, I went straight to bed without eating, Uh, I was extremely ill and pretty frustrated about what had happened that day. When my mom, my host mom, uh, Marie, returned home that evening, she asked how I was feeling. I explained what had happened that day, and then she asked what I had eaten recently. Together we realized that the street fataya from the day before had probably upset my stomach. When I told her I hadn't kept any food down all day, she was not very happy. Uh, All of our host families were quite adamant that we eat enough. You must eat, my mom said. I'll get you a suppository and make you something light. After you take it, wait 15 minutes. It will make it so you don't throw up, she said and walked out of my room. She returned with a box of suppositories and some food. Now, it's important to know that I had never used a suppository before. (laughs) I didn't know what a suppository was. I thought it was a pill. I tore open the packaging and was a bit surprised to see a large wax-like cylinder thing. That seems like an odd thing to swallow, I thought, but I did it anyway. (laughs) Well, I threw it up after about five minutes, which left me even more frustrated. It had been a horrible day and now I had to go tell my mom that her suppositories didn't work. I knocked on her door and informed her it didn't work I had thrown it up. She furrowed her brows, confused. You did not swallow it. She said, yes, and I threw it up. (laughs) She just stared at me, and I'll be honest, I don't think I've ever seen such a look of concern like the one she gave me. No, you do not swallow a suppository. You stick it up your anus. Oh, I said, really? She responded with laughter and I joined in. I felt really silly and only a little bit stupid. She gave me another suppository but made me promise not to swallow it again. <laughs> 15 minutes later, I started eating and I was extremely happy, happy that I was able to keep the food down. I tucked in for the night in a much better mood uh, than I had been just an hour prior. When I was frustrated and embarrassed and bore a stranger's invitation to sit and chat boosted my mood. And back in Dongan, when I was irritated and hungry, my mom's kindness and patience put me in higher spirits. I felt taken care of. Though, for the rest of my stay in Dongan, my mom wouldn't let me forget about this appository incident. (laughs) Thank you.
6: I'm Mira, and I have a story from my time in chess during study term. I emerged from my room one Sunday night, the journal entries that I had procrastinated on finally complete. It was the time of evening I liked best. The cool of the night had set in, but the last few rays of golden sunlight still reached my house's tiny courtyard. I stuck my head into the kitchen, expecting to find the usual bustle of my host sisters preparing rice and onion sauce. It was quiet. I checked in the living room, too. But the only signs of life there were the cries of a character in a TV novella crying over a near-death experience. I heard the metal gate to the courtyard creek open, and my host sister, sidoni that's her um, on the right with me, uh, slowly walked in, a giant blue tub balanced on her head. That's when it occurred to me my family was getting water. At my house in the city of Chess, the water was barely ever on. Once every week or so, it would make an appearance and Emil, my host brother, would fill up the large black rain barrels in the courtyard before it turned off again. But even that amount of water was barely enough for the household of eight people and we would run out before the water turned on again. When that happened, my family had one option, to get the water for themselves. Sidonie, I asked, can I help you? She smiled a bit bemusedly and handed me five empty water jugs to carry. Come, she said, let's give these to a meal. We exited the small courtyard onto the sandy street. An occasional motorbike went by, but most of the traffic was p- from pedestrians. Right then, several women and children carrying tubs and jugs like ours were passing by on their way to the mosque. We joined them. Before entering the courtyard of the mosque, we stopped at a house across the street. I have no clue who lives there, Um, I never found out, but the ornate tiling, the live plants, and the working tap seemed to indicate a comfortable financial status. My brother Emil was already there, filling several jugs like mine. Sidonie and I handed him over our jugs and entered the courtyard of the mosque. It felt like the entire neighborhood had decided to visit the mosque that day. Sidonie and I joined my sister Mireille in line, behind an older woman in a rainbow-flowing robe and headscarf to match. She was also carrying a 45-liter bucket, like the three that my sisters had brought from home. She quietly greeted my sisters in Wolof and extended a brief welcome to me in French. We returned to a comfortable silence, punctuated by children yelling outside the wall and the constantly running tap. When it became my family's turn to get water, Mireille expertly slid a bucket under the still-running tap, barely letting any drip to the ground. Thus began the slow process of filling each bucket. When the first was full, Sidoni hoisted it upon her head. She turned slowly and told me to follow her. The balancing looked difficult, and I asked her if it was. Yes, she said, it hurts your back. Together, we walked back to the house, me trailing after her, jug-free, like one of the stray dogs in the street. With the tub stowed in our courtyard of our house, Sidonie and I followed the well-trodden path back to the mosque. We passed a woman in a bright orange dress with an equally outgoing personality to match. She exchanged a few phrases in rapid Wolof with my sister and they both turned to me laughing. I was lost until Sidonie translated. She wonders if you will carry water on your head, too. I shook my head and laughed. My family had seen me struggle to carry um, the small water jugs, and they knew if I tried to balance anything on my head, it would soon end up on the ground. Back at the mosque, some men had begun to enter the courtyard, also filling containers. Um, They had small, rainbow-hued teapots used to wash before their evening prayers started. Then, it was then that the call to prayer started. The mosque's gravelly loudspeakers joined in a chorus with the other nearby mosques. That moment felt very surreal to me. There I was in the heart of Senegalese city, surrounded by luscious green plants in an otherwise arid landscape, noisy children getting yelled at by adults, and the contemplative men and women in the courtyard of the mosque. Just as the sun set, we set the last bucket of water down in the courtyard. The buckets and jugs filled with water would last us several days, but in about a week, we'd repeat the process again. I realize now that when I learned about the lack of water in my Senegalese community, I saw it as purely a negative thing. And it is a major issue and disruption to their lives, especially with the acute effects of climate change in the area. But by participating in daily life with my Senegalese family, I learned to see the issue as more nuanced. My family didn't see gathering as just a heavy burden as I expected. The weekly chore of gathering water was a time to connect with neighbors. It was a time to exchange the greetings essential to and cherished in Senegalese culture. I will always be thankful to my host family for welcoming me into their host family and letting me participate in daily chores like gathering water. Thank you.
7: Assalamu alaikum.
8: Assalamu alaikum.
7: def. Okay, we would get more responses in Senegal. Thanks. <laughs> um, happy Ramadan, everybody. I'm Brandon. Hi. Oh yeah.
8: Okay. I'm Brandon. And I'm Bree.
7: I'm gonna have to like so.
8: And uh, we were service partners. Yeah.
7: So, for our service placement, we went to Jarama Jalau in Tubab Jalau. It's a small village near the capital city of of Dakar. Um, Jarama is an association with two separate locations close in proximity and both are intentional living communities that have schools and programs geared towards teaching sustainable agriculture and the performing arts.
8: Brandon and I were placed in the community that focused more so on environmental programs. For our service project, we were given the responsibility to help develop permacultural gardens. As two people with little agricultural experience, we didn't know how much we would be able to help.
7: At First, we found it difficult to connect to the drama community due to our lack of gardening knowledge, Um, but although we participated in our daily responsibilities, we kept wondering how useful our services really were. As artistically inclined individuals, we really hoped to find ways that we could bring our skills to the table.
8: One morning, we were told that we would be repainting the color-coded waste bins for separating trash from recycling. Brandon and I were ecstatic about being able to exercise our creativity through this simple task. We received ample praise for the newly refurbished bins.
7: The leaders at Jarama noticed our artistic inclination and immediately began suggesting other product, projects that we could apply our creativity to. One of which was designing and painting a mural on one of the walls of their new school.
8: We were so excited to finally be able to apply the skills we had in a way that would also serve the Jarama community. This large project required numerous materials that Jarama did not have. Nevertheless, Tusa, our service leader, was happy to get us everything we needed, even if it meant driving a few hours away.
7: Our mural took about two weeks to complete, and throughout this time, none of our peers at Drama failed to compliment our progress.
8: Although we were initially nervous about not living up to the expectations Drama had for us, we discovered that they were more than happy to receive what we had to offer.
7: So that's the painting that we did on their school.
8: And then these are also just some highlights from service. So on the left is my host mom. We got to travel back to Chess for Tabaski, a Muslim holiday there, and celebrate with our host families. Um, The selfie with me, Brandon, and Tusa, that's our service leader. Um, Brandon and I also had Susanna, Birch, Caleb, and Samuel visit our service placement a couple times. And then our favorite meal is up in the right corner, that's uh, Vermicelle. And then we also got to see chameleons and beautiful sunsets and eat a lot of good fruit.
1: Thanks everyone for um, listening to our convo. Um, I think we all found our time in Senegal to be meaningful, we're not quite done yet. Um, to be meaningful, and hopefully, um, we're able to share some of that with you. Um, and thanks again to David and Kendra for leading us. To close, we're going to be singing a song that our in-country coordinator, Adama, wrote about his love uh, for Senegal. Um, it's pretty short, so we'll sing it through two times, and join us on the second one if you like, would like to. Um, and these are the words and then after the song you're free to go